So, this. You will start the meeting muted. If you have any questions during the presentation or at any point, please feel free to raise your hand or just unmute yourself and just put the question as you might have. This is Economic Development Week at the Green Antlers podcast. The Waterfowl! So. Good morning, Sasha and Isabella. Hi, good morning, Ashley. Welcome and happy Economic Development Week. Happy Economic <laughs> Development Week. It's great to see you. And I just wanted to pop on and say. For your continued support of the BC Economic Development Association and BC's economic developers. We're so excited to have you continue your sponsorship. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, thank you for your support and we are really proud to be partnering with BCDA and supporting the BC economic development community. Uh, and so we also want to take this opportunity to thank you uh, for all the effort that you did in organizing the BC Economic Summit. Uh, I think it was really a great event. Also, uh, uh, the city of Penticton was also a great host and I think it all just went smoothly and uh, for us it was really exciting to see everyone in person after a couple of years uh, having it virtual so I don't know it really felt great to reconnect with everyone meet a lot of new people uh, learn a lot from from everyone and from all the presentations I think the content during the summit was also great oh, some great presentations and insights over there so uh, yeah fantastic well today we've launched some new content on the ecdev in action .ca website um, there's over 50 new stories added of success stories around British Columbia. So have a peek. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Okay, so I don't know, should we wait, Isabel, what do you think? Should we wait a couple minutes more or are we good to start? Well, we can slowly start, I think. Okay. Okay, so uh, thanks everyone uh, for uh, joining today. Uh, as I just mentioned, it was really much nicer to see everyone in person during the BC Economic Summit. Uh, now here we're back at Zooming, but it's not the same, uh, but at least we're happy to uh, share the content and information that we have uh, to, to present on this uh, very important topic, uh, and which became uh, more and more, more trendy in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, so I mentioned if you have any questions during the, uh, the presentation, please feel free to just uh, pop the question, also unmute yourself and ask the question or type in chat and then we will uh, address any questions at the end of the session. Uh, so I will just kick off uh, my presentation. Uh, so the topic is obviously attracting and retaining remote workers uh, in our community. Uh, and we will, the whole presentation is broken down into uh, several uh, sections, so to speak. Uh, so first of all, we will focus on the trends, uh, current trends on uh, remote working. Uh, what are the economic benefits of having remote workers in your communities? Uh, what communities need to know about remote workers and what remote workers need to know about the communities, or how to showcase your advantages, what are the challenges and solutions, eventual solutions to those challenges, uh, and then we'll just uh, briefly uh, show how, uh, what CTV shows uh, with regards to this topic. So about, uh, about me, uh, the presenter, I'm uh, Sasha Bogdanovic, I'm a Chief Technical Officer at CTV's Economic Development Data Portal, uh, which supports communities from coast to coast uh, in making the most of uh, data when it comes to, uh, to 
support their economic development activities. Uh, I have over 22 years of experience in building data products uh, for various levels of, of so provincial and various levels of local governments, as well as in the private sector. Uh, I myself uh, am a first-generation immigrant and a remote worker uh, for 13 plus years. Uh, so that's something that I would like to start the presentation with, uh, a little bit of a personal background, uh, how uh, we moved to Canada and what was important for us, uh, because we practically uh, have been a remote workers, both Isabella and I, since day one. Uh, so uh, we lived in Malta before moving to Canada, so tiny island in the Mediterranean. Uh, and uh, when we made the decision uh, to move from Malta and uh, we were looking for, first of all, uh, where would we like to move to, and obviously Canada, it was an easy choice really, because uh, Canada is known worldwide as a uh, good country, as a country which is welcoming uh, immigrants from all around the world. Uh, but then the challenge was, uh, because Canada is just so huge and so vast, and pretty much uh, everybody knows only about uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, so those larger cities, uh, the challenge was how to pick the spot. Uh, so we had to identify what was really important for us and what was the environment that we wanted to live in. Um, being that we lived in the Mediterranean uh, and we never been to Canada before, no friends or family, uh, so practically we couldn't learn anything firsthand, uh, but only through research on the internet. So uh, this was more than 13 years ago. Uh, and as we were doing that research, uh, we came across the blog post, which was advertising Okanagan uh, as Canadian Mediterranean. And being that we lived in the Mediterranean at that point in time, uh, for us, uh, our mind has been made uh, with that simple statement. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously that was really like a big advantage, but then uh, we looked into more data, which was available at the time uh, to make sure that we make an informed decision. Uh, so what we were looking at at that point in time, uh, with uh, one three and a half year old kid uh, and another one on the way uh, was uh, the community uh, which would be uh, big enough to offer everything that we needed uh, but still not to be too big so that we get stuck in, in the traffic and commute like I don't know, a couple of hours every day. Uh, so uh, that's how uh, we began a number of other factors obviously but uh, what we were looking at was something really uh, where we would feel uh, welcome. Uh, and where we would have everything that we need uh, as a young family. Uh, so that's how our choice has been made uh, when we picked Okanagan and we lived there till July last year, at which point we moved to Calgary. Um, so the idea was initially to move uh, to a more rural area. It didn't work out for some of the most bizarre reasons and life just brought us here, so here we are. Uh, but we still work with communities uh, throughout Canada, being remote workers, it doesn't really matter where we are. Uh, so we're here to support uh, economic development officers throughout Canada and make a uh, better, try to make a better life for uh, everyone in our communities. Uh, so that's briefly about uh, myself and uh, our story, how, how we came to, uh, to, to Canada and to the Okanagan uh, and what, what, what was important for us. So Isabella, who is the CEO of uh, CityWiz, uh, so we are partners in business and in life. Uh, then we will look a little bit uh, into the uh, trends uh, of current remote, uh, remote working. 
also according to the uh, Angus Reid Institute. So uh, it's important to mention this is now a survey which is a couple of years old, so somewhere in mid-pandemic. Also, the numbers maybe have been biased at that point in time, uh, but uh, it shows the general uh, sentiment when it comes to uh, remote working. So uh, at that time, 64% uh, of Canadians who worked from home at that point in time uh, would consider moving to another uh, city or region if they were uh, able to work remotely permanently. Um, uh, looking at the BC residents, also only in that cohort, most people who were working from home and were willing to relocate, 42% uh, of them uh, were considering moving to smaller cities or towns, uh, and 28% of BC residents were considering moving to more rural areas. Also, these numbers are pretty significant, and it show they show the general sentiment of how people feel about uh, working from home. Uh, looking further, the trends uh, about so uh, this is pretty fresh data from uh, Q1 2023. Uh, so, Statistics Canada performs a survey where they uh, survey the organizations uh, throughout in each province. Is at the provincial level, uh, and organizations uh, basically uh, fill in the service, uh, noting uh, how many, what percentage of their workers is, are anticipated to work remotely, uh, among other questions, to work remotely in the next three months. Uh, so from Q1 2023, uh, roughly 9.5% of the labor force was anticipated to work remotely exclusively uh, in the next three months, so in the Q2. Um, next uh, figure here uh, is a chart which basically showcases uh, that option uh, and how it compares to uh, other combinations like working on site exclusively uh, and uh, working the combinations basically of those uh, of those options next uh, we focus on the difference between uh, urban and rural areas this is the same survey uh, just uh, respondents uh, also uh, basically noted whether they come from urban or, or rural area uh, obviously the percentages are slightly higher in uh, in urban areas perhaps because the technology is the main enabling factor of remote work uh, is typically more developed in urban rather than rural areas uh, and that's one of the challenges that needs to be solved but we'll talk about it a little bit later as well. Uh, this is the number uh, which shows uh, what kind of, so the caption here is wrong, uh, so what kind of incentives uh, organizations are offering to uh, new and existing employees uh, in order to attract uh, attract new and retain existing employees. Also, uh, the number happens to be the same in case of British Columbia, so 9.5% of organizations uh, are offering uh, remote work as an incentive for attracting and retaining talent. Uh, this number uh, differs uh, between uh, provinces, uh, Obviously, British Columbia is one of the leading provinces in that aspect. Others fare slightly uh, with some slightly lower percentages in Ontario, being obviously the leading one. Uh, this uh, chart shows uh, how offer uh, option, how option to work remotely compares to other incentives uh, that organizations offer. Uh, and obviously, still option number one is the increase in wages uh, to existing employees, uh, and then some other options. Uh, and option to work remotely is somewhere in the middle. Uh, now we will talk a little bit about the uh, economic uh, benefits of uh, remote workers, having remote workers uh, in, in 
our communities. Uh, so first of all, obviously, is the uh, direct and indirect job creation. Uh, so uh, how do we categorize this? So indirect job creation would be uh, simply by increasing the demand for particular services like uh, childcare or, um, I don't know, food delivery or anything else. Really. So that kind of indirect impact simply by uh, creating the demand. Uh, and so the other option is the other uh, potential benefit is the direct job creation. Uh, so remote workers uh, tend to be uh, more technical persons. And so by if we manage, for example, to uh, get them together in co-working spaces, uh, it's very easy to spark new ideas and create new businesses, which in turn will create new jobs. So this would be uh, the direct impact of uh, having remote workers in, uh, in communities. Uh, obviously, uh, yeah, so I mentioned sparking new ideas through collaboration. That's uh, something which is really important. We'll talk about uh, that a little bit more. Um, uh, demographic diversity in terms of age, ethnicity, and some other uh, economic demographic factors, uh, which con contribute to creating a more vibrant and with a more diverse community. Uh, other economic uh, benefits of having remote workers is the, for them, for example, improved quality of life. Uh, where uh, they are able to be uh, more flexible in their work uh, by adjusting their uh, work schedule uh, and being more engaged in, in the community uh, and obviously the increased tax revenue for both uh, local and provincial governments. Our next topic uh, is uh, knowing about uh, remote workers uh, and remote workers knowing about uh, the community. Uh, so obviously it has to be a two-way street, it's not enough uh, only to uh, market your community and let people know about you and how good it is to be there, uh, but you also need to know uh, what kind of uh, demographic group or remote work generally, generally represents in order to uh, target that audience uh, better. Also, uh, in the next few slides, we'll focus on uh, some data points uh, which highlight uh, the current uh, profile of um, remote workers uh, from various aspects uh, to be able to identify what are potential uh, sources or pools of talent uh, that we can draw from uh, in, in attracting them. Uh, so, uh, when we talk about uh, demographic indicators of remote workers, uh, we can ask questions like uh, what industries are they working in, uh, what is their occupation, uh, what is their highest level of uh, education attained or income, uh, and things like that. So all the charts that uh, are, presenting, are presented here come from uh, CTV's data portal and uh, the fact that they are uh, colored differently throughout the application is simply because they are sourced from uh, various instances or communities uh, using CTV's data portal. Uh, so this one uh, shows the broad education groups of remote workers, so it compares uh, highest education attained uh, of, of remote workers as a demographic group uh, and uh, workforce, overall workforce uh, within the community. So this is the snapshot according to uh, census
number, the percentage of uh, remote workers uh, is almost two times uh, as much as uh, as many as the number of uh, percentage of uh, overall labor force. Uh, same thing for post-secondary certificate uh, or diploma below bachelor level. So uh, it tells us that generally uh, the remote workers demographic group uh, is generally highly educated. Then we can also see the breakdown of our remote workers by industry and occupation so that we can understand in which industries they are mostly working in, what is their occupation and so on. And that allows us to kind of pinpoint those narrow population groups which are potential for potential stars of talent. They also, yeah, it's also important to mention the income groups, uh, so average and medial, uh, median total income uh, is 15 to 20 percent higher uh, in remote workers group compared to uh, total income of overall labor force, uh, and roughly 20 percent of remote workers earn more than 100k per year. Uh, next couple of charts uh, highlight uh, those facts. So on the left hand side we see the breakdown by uh, income bands uh, and on the right hand side is the chart which groups those income bands into broad groups. So the top or the bar, two bars in the top right corner are those with 100k and over and this is per person. So total employment and other income uh, per person or per household. So those percentages are pretty significant uh, and uh, obviously they vary between communities uh, and they can vary even more smaller and rural communities, but those are the general, uh, this is the general idea how they compare uh, to overall, to overall, overall labor force. Um, so what are the potential sources of uh, talent for uh, attracting remote workers? Uh, first of all, uh, we can leverage uh, immigration. Uh, so if you look at the immigration population, uh, they tend to have a higher education on average compared to general population uh, and if you look at just that group uh, over 50 they have like 15 percent more of uh, post-secondary education compared to uh, general population and over 30 percent of remote workers are uh, with bachelor's degree or higher so uh, these are some important numbers in identifying those groups uh, the chart here shows uh, the breakdown of immigration by broad education groups. Also, there's roughly 57% of, of uh, immigrants uh, who have post-secondary education uh, and 28.5% with uh, bachelor's degree or higher. Also, those numbers uh, match pretty good uh, with those that we've seen in the uh, current snapshot of uh, remote workers within communities. And that tells us that uh, immigrants uh, are a pretty good group uh, as a potential source of of talent when it comes to remote working. Uh, why, uh, some other factors why immigration is also important to look into uh, and to try to tap into uh, for attraction of, of, of talent for remote working. Uh, so first of all, it accounts for 75% uh, of population growth in Canada. Uh, and uh, even more dramatic number is that it accounts for 90% of 90% of labor force growth uh, in Canada, so overall. Uh, so those numbers are staggering, uh, and uh, we will see a couple of other facts which uh, basically explain why that is so. Uh, talking about immigration, uh, 2022 
was the record year uh, where uh, 435,000 uh, permanent residents were admitted uh, into Canada. Uh, and that's an all-time high. Uh, and it is anticipated that in the next three years, uh, over one, at, at least 1.5 million of immigrants will be admitted uh, into Canada. So it's really a huge, huge source of talent. Uh, and those numbers can only increase. So uh, the numbers of Plan, that three-year plan uh, is created by federal government in collaboration with uh, provincial governments. So they are looking uh, at the demand and anticipated forecasted demand uh, for the labor force growth. And based on that, they create the profiles of which skills uh, are required uh, to be admitted in the next three years. Uh, so they uh, revise uh, these plans uh, each year, typically November or so. Uh, so, for example, the current plan uh, is uh, created for 2023, 2024, and 2025, um, and that number is increasing year on year. Uh, and uh, in November, so November this year, they will create a new plan for 2024, 2025, and 2026. Uh, and what we've seen so far is that those two years, which are overlapping in those three-year periods, uh, the numbers uh, are revised each year, so they keep growing. So this number uh, will probably be much larger uh, if looked back, in, looked back after three years. Uh, so these are really significant numbers, and now we're going to look into a couple of facts uh, why these numbers are uh, even more important. So first of all, uh, fertility rates. Uh, this chart comes from the presentation that we did last year during the economic week with BCDA, it was on uh, population growth and analysis of uh, components of population change. Uh, it shows the uh, fertility rate in Canada and we can see that uh, basically since the recession in 2008, uh, it has been a steady decline uh, and it keeps, uh, it keeps going down. Uh, it was going down even before the recession, but uh, the recession in 2008 only sped up uh, those rates going down. Also, according to Statistics Canada, also quoting them, uh, they say if that trend continues, Canada will hit the lowest of lows when it comes to uh, fertility rate. And obviously this is a big problem because uh, the growth of the economy depends on uh, growth of the labor force uh, and with uh, such a dramatic decline of fertility rates, uh, Canada simply is not able to, uh, to, to produce economic growth uh, on its own. Uh, so that's why uh, having immigrants and having them uh, integrated is uh, really important and why it matters. Uh, another thing uh, is the uh, not only declining uh, population but also aging population. So this chart uh, is the population projection for, for one of the communities in BC. I'm not going to name it, but uh, many communities uh, are sharing more or less the same scenario. Uh, they are looking into. Uh, so this is the distribution of population by five-year age groups, starting from uh, the youngest ones at the bottom and uh, seniors at the top. Uh, so what you would like, uh, this chart is called population pyramid, uh, and what you would like it to look like uh, is to be really like a pyramid, so more and more youth coming up, uh, rather than uh, being like uh, inverted pyramid. Uh, so this inverted pyramid basically shows that the majority of population are seniors, uh, and as they are uh, progressing into the next, next age group and unfortunately leaving us, uh, there is not enough younger population replacing them and uh, there is not enough new labor force coming in on, on the 
labor force market. And that obviously is a big problem, uh, not only for this particular community, uh, but uh, throughout uh, all our communities, and especially smaller and rural communities throughout Canada and uh, throughout the world, really. So what we would like uh, the population pyramid to look like is more uh, something like this. Uh, so uh, it shows basically that uh, as each generation is moving to the next uh, five-year age group, uh, there is always enough people basically replacing them into the next stage. Uh, and this is much more healthier future. So chart like this is the, is the projection of population uh, up to 20. 45, and also this comes from, this is the city of Leverage in particular, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, another uh, interesting example that I wanted to uh, mention uh, is uh, how, for example, so the example comes from Italy, from, from Europe, uh, but it's just an idea of how, uh, what can be done to, uh, to try to prevent or uh, reverse the scenario uh, presented in this chart. So, in the example of the Italy, especially in the southern parts, uh, they have many abandoned villages because people move to uh, larger cities, uh, the older population uh, dying out, uh, and uh, so many of abandoned properties. So they offer those properties uh, basically for one euro, literally. So obviously the laws are different uh, over there, uh, but uh, municipalities becoming the owners of those abandoned properties uh, try to attract people from throughout not only Italy but from throughout Europe and the number of cases where people were moving from the UK, from Germany, from Spain, uh, moving to Italy uh, and buying out those properties for literally for nothing, one euro uh, and so obviously then they would need to invest into eventual renovation and uh, to try to revive those communities which, which are abandoned and which were thriving until only a few years ago. Uh, and I know uh, we have a friend uh, who moved from uh, from Malta to uh, to Italy, so he now lives in Tuscany, where he purchased uh, the vineyard uh, for a really negligible amount of money. Uh, so that vineyard was also abandoned. Uh, he revived it within a couple of years, and now he's producing extra virgin olive oil. Uh, he's producing his own wine after uh, reviving the wines and so on. Uh, so that's just one example of how uh, not only population can be brought back, uh, but also how uh, people can come in with their uh, entrepreneurial ideas and uh, restart the, the economy in those areas which are uh, basically disappearing in front of our eyes. Uh, there are some others. So what are the programs uh, that are bringing in the immigrants into Canada? Uh, obviously, the main source uh, are the skilled workers, uh, and that is particularly interesting when it comes to talking about uh, remote workers, uh, because uh, they also match the profile of uh, those uh, who are like good. They match the profile of current uh, remote workers. Uh, so in British Columbia in 2021, uh, roughly uh, 31,000 people came through a skilled workers program and that accounts for almost 25% of uh, all skilled workers that uh, were admitted into Canada. Uh, obviously Ontario is over 50%, so there most people, uh, most people go to uh, Greater Toronto area, but uh, BC is doing pretty well with regards to attracting skilled workers into uh, our communities. Uh, other provinces are no more than 10%. Uh, and there is also the uh, provincial mini program. Uh, 
numbers are a bit smaller. So in BC, for example, in 2021, 11,000, roughly around 11,000 people uh, moved uh, to BC from uh, throughout the world, uh, and that accounts for about 20% of uh, immigrants into Canada. Well, that number is pretty good, uh, but uh, skilled workers as a category, as a demographic uh, category, are more interesting uh, to us. Uh, some provinces struggle with the provincial nominee program in the sense that all uh, immigrants move in, uh, they stay for uh, a certain period of time, they are, uh, they have to stay, I think it's six months, uh, and they very often then move on. Uh, so uh, it's, it would be good uh, if uh, steps were taken to uh, retain them within the communities, also uh, creating the welcoming environment for them and creating the environment in which they can thrive. Uh, so that uh, they are kept once they are there because it's generally always much cheaper uh, to retain than to attract not only the labor force but customers whatever. Uh, another source of potential source of talent uh, is the interprovincial migration so that's those are the people who are moving uh, within Canada between the provinces uh, and so uh, the next chart shows uh, bi-directional flow uh, of migrants with, between provinces in Canada and uh, for example in the last year only uh, roughly uh, 50k people uh, moved from Toronto from sorry from Ontario and Alberta only uh, into BC so 50,000 people only from other provinces uh, that's pretty good a uh, good percentage of them are working uh, working age uh, population so that's also another significant uh, potential source of uh, talent for uh, workforce attraction. Uh, there is also the trend uh, of, of people moving from uh, big cities to smaller communities. Uh, so they're moving from the uh, fast pace of uh, life uh, in bigger cities and choosing uh, some slower uh, pace of life in smaller and rural communities. And uh, if you look at the numbers, of, of, so people that move from Vancouver, Calgary and Edmonton only uh, to Cranbrook, Camelot and Vernon for example uh, we can see that so this is uh, from last year so 2022 uh, roughly 200 people to Cranbrook, uh, 1500 to Camelot, uh, 1000 to Vernon so again these are uh, pretty good numbers uh, the chart like this shows uh, this of migration between uh, urban areas. Uh, unfortunately, smaller uh, statistics Canada does not provide the information uh, for smaller areas, but it groups them all together as area outside uh, census metropolitan area. Also, it, what we can see here, this is the example from city of Vernon. Uh, so roughly, uh, so Vancouver, Kelowna, Calgary are the top three urban areas that people move to Vernon from uh, and those numbers are pretty, pretty significant. Uh, all the look, for example, Vernon, Kelowna, those numbers are more or less the same. Uh, so these trends of people moving from bigger cities uh, to uh, smaller communities is a little bit amplified in British Columbia uh, simply because of uh, the price of real estate in uh, larger population centers like Metro Vancouver uh, and Okanagan. Uh, if you look at the numbers uh, for uh, Alberta, for example, uh, so this compares the uh, movement between Lethbridge and Calgary, we can see that more people moved from Lethbridge to Calgary rather than uh, the other way around. Uh, so with the property prices in British Columbia being so high in those large uh, urban areas, uh, it becomes really easy for uh, homeowners from those 
those urban areas to move to uh, smaller uh, communities. Uh, while in other provinces that trend is uh, not something uh, that is so uh, visible, uh, but uh, this is something I think which uh, smaller and rural communities uh, in uh, BC uh, need to pay attention to and try to attract by uh, try to attract uh, workers moving in from larger cities into their own areas. Uh, next, uh, we will talk a little bit about. Uh, the differences between uh, urban and rural areas. Uh, just to turn this up. Uh, so obviously, uh, when it comes to showcasing your advantages and getting remote workers to know more about your community, uh, it's important to highlight what are those uh, facts which uh, would uh, make them come and live uh, and become part of, of your community. There is such a big difference between urban and rural areas, uh, the, their advantages are different as well. So in urban areas, uh, they would typically use uh, things like diverse range of uh, amenities uh, to attract remote workers. And when we talk about that, we mean particularly uh, different experiences in terms of cultural, dining, shopping, etc. Uh, then access to quality education, uh, quality health care, and the ever-growing tech industry as well as the main enabler of uh, remote work. Uh, well, if you look at the rural areas, uh, first of all, the main difference is the slower pace of life, so people who want to escape the urban hustle and bustle uh, would look into uh, moving into rural areas or not spending a lot of time uh, in the commute uh, and so on. So uh, they're also looking for uh, a sense of community, so the smaller the community, the more tight-knit it is. And I think that's uh, really important uh, to have that sense of community. And uh, we can reflect on that as well from our own personal experience after moving from, even though from one urban area to another, uh, but uh, that sense of community in Kelowna was, how can I say, much, much more visible than, uh, than here in Calgary. Uh, then rural communities can obviously use uh, the natural beauty all around uh, to try to attract uh, remote workers and some very important factors like lower cost of living, uh, affordable housing, if there is available one, obviously. And it's important also to note uh, that the salaries of remote workers would be more, uh, more favorable for them living in the uh, rural areas rather than in urban areas where the cost of living is much higher uh, because they will not be typically penalized uh, for moving from urban to rural areas by reducing their salaries. Uh, so what are the uh, some factors that you uh, have to have uh, in order to affect remote workers and what are the more desirable ones? Uh, so first of all, obviously, the availability of internet and mobile service is an absolute uh, necessity uh, because no internet, no remote work. And so uh, it's important for communities to highlight uh, any kind of technology which is, which is available, even if high-speed high speed internet like fiber optic is not available. Uh, nowadays, uh, obviously, there is also the option of satellite internet. Uh, within CTVs, uh, we show we use the national broadband data uh, as the source where community, that communities can use to highlight the availability of uh, internet services in their areas. Uh, so that no national problem data comes from CRTC uh, and uh, the whole uh, area of Canada is broken down into those hexagons which are roughly uh, 25 square, square kilometers each and uh, they represent uh, 
be whether there is uh, the availability of intelligent service or not. So uh, the more the darker the red color means the higher the percentage uh, of households uh, within that particular area that have access to high-speed internet. Uh, so this is the example of the original district of Central Okanagan. A uh, large majority of, of those areas outside the mountains obviously uh, have uh, dark red color and that's percentages between 75 and 100 percent of households having access to, uh, to high-speed internet. Uh, if we go a little bit more to rural areas, uh, like here, somewhere in the middle of the map, uh, the lighter the color uh, means that the lower the percentage of households having access to high-speed internet. And the yellow areas are the ones where Basically, there is no high-speed internet, no, it's no slower one uh, with uh, 5 megabits of upload. Areas which are without uh, any coloring, just the map below, base map, uh, are areas where there is no uh, fixed uh, internet. Uh, but uh, clicking any of these areas uh, shows what kind of service is available there. Uh, and obviously, the satellite option is available everywhere. Uh, typically, it's ExploreNet and since recently Starlink as well. Uh, so we show that uh, in, in the features of our communities, uh, so Starlink now has uh, coverage of virtually the whole of Canada. Now there are only a couple of small areas where they are expanding now in 2023, uh, but they pretty much cover uh, whole uh, whole Canada, and the costs are also pretty competitive when it comes compared to uh, traditional providers. Uh, the next option, uh, next uh, topic is uh, housing. So housing can be used uh, as an important factor uh, in attracting uh, and retaining remote workers. Uh, so it comes in pair with lower cost of living because cost of rent or uh, owning a home uh, is much lower uh, in, uh, in smaller and rural communities. Uh, so housing is generally more affordable and it makes it easier for younger families to become homeowners, which nowadays uh, in larger population centers is becoming virtually impossible especially if we talk about Vancouver. Uh, so the example here comes from a uh, village of concert in Alberta. So it's a pretty dramatic example and something which we do not observe in BC communities, uh, but it shows basically uh, that uh, that's a trend where younger families can become homeowners. So the chart on the left-hand side uh, is the uh, percentage of uh, household owners by owner age group. So lower bars are younger population and uh, upper bars uh, represent older population so bars this wide uh, can uh, rarely be seen but uh, obviously this is one of the examples of uh, how younger families can much easier become homeowners. Uh, next uh, it's important to create the welcoming environment and this is really really important uh, so imagine when uh, the immigrant uh, immigrates so this is especially uh, important for immigrants. Obviously, they are not the only source of, of talent, uh, but uh, for for them, it's it makes it even more important to create such such environment. So people are moving in uh, to Canada from uh, the whole from the whole world, from uh, with different cultural backgrounds, uh, and uh, one of the challenges they face if they move to smaller communities, they they know no one, uh, everything is completely new, uh, and uh, for that reason, uh, the majority. Large population centers like Greater Toronto area or Metro Vancouver, for example, and so that's normal because uh, they, would, they would find more people 
to create such an environment and let them know that such environment exists, uh, it would be uh, much easier, much easier for them. Uh, so immigrants really face a number of challenges uh, once they move, uh, and I can vouch for that from personal experience. Uh, so first of all, again, I will tell uh, an example. It's an anecdote. So when we moved to Canada, we landed uh, in Toronto and stayed there for a couple of days to uh, see Niagara Falls and I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so we go to the hotel uh, and so we go into our room. Uh, we want to turn on the light and we cannot find uh, you know, how to turn on the light on the lamp. Uh, so why? Because in Europe, for example, uh, there are those uh, regular switches where you just uh, flick the switch and the light goes on. And here the lamp, we had to figure out that there is that little knob which you have to turn and to turn on the lamp. So something little was, was shocking a little bit. <laughs> and a number, a number of other I don't know, examples like that, I don't know, like electrical socket, for example, is different. So ev everything's different. People are uh, thinking differently. Everything's working different. So it's a really big cultural shock. And uh, we come from, we coming from Europe. It's relatively one thing. It's relatively uh, similar, but uh, there it is. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, if uh, the environment uh, for those immigrants is welcoming in, and make it to make it easier for them to, to integrate, uh, that would really mean a lot. Uh, so what what do we mean when we talk about welcoming environments? So it's important to have that uh, increased sense of community spirit. Uh, for uh, generally, uh, recently we met an ex-Canadian diplomat who uh, spent some time in Europe and UK and Ireland and so on. Uh, and uh, he moved back to Canada and he is now looking to uh, relocate to a rural area with his wife because they're both working remotely. Also, what they're doing right now, they're touring those smaller communities and trying to find that community spirit. Uh, imagine like almost like a Hallmark movie. So, uh, but I'm not saying this in like to mock anything, but uh, really, I mean, uh, what they're looking for is that warm and fuzzy feeling. So you see that uh, people say hi uh, to each other you know, on the street, that you know, there are events uh, throughout the year, some uh, long-running long traditions of unique cultural activities and experiences. So uh, this is um, that's just one example, uh, but this is something that uh, in generally uh, remote workers can be uh, looking for because they also face a number of challenging, be they immigrants or not. Uh, so what can communities use to showcase uh, their advantages? Uh, once, uh, one thing is, for example, to showcase the uh, diverse ethnic origins so by showing uh, that there are people in their community from around the world, uh, it shows them that uh, basically there are people like them and they can meet people and connect with them uh, and start their life by connecting with those people, at least on that basis. Uh, next chart is shows, for example, the immigration by place of birth. Uh, so again, this is a snapshot of the uh, city of Cranbrook. Uh, so it shows that virtually people are coming in equally from uh, from all continents, more or less. Uh, but something like this is important because it, uh, showcase, it tells those uh, potential migrants into the community that uh, there is diverse uh, ethnic and ethnic origin, uh, which creates that diverse environment in which anyone can thrive. Uh, what else is important for uh, showcasing the welcoming environment? Uh, 
that now we can talk about some necessities like uh, existing amenities and businesses and they can include uh, things like uh, childcare centers which everybody will need especially younger families and our remote workers majority of them are also younger families so something like that is really important uh, access to healthcare, parks and recreation uh, quality education and so on also uh, something like this is uh, really important to to showcase to them. Also, uh, in CityVis, uh, we provide that functionality uh, by uh, showcasing the map of the community broken down at uh, neighborhood level, where users can explore uh, by different economical demographic indicators. So, here in the top right corner, there is the drop down box where they can select whether they want to see by, uh, for example, I don't know, visible minorities or religion or uh, things like that, and then overlay uh, existing amenities on top of the also, map like this serves not only for remote workers, obviously, but also kind of a market research or site selection tool. But it's really so universal that uh, it can be used in this way as well. Uh, and it's also important to uh, to obviously market uh, the advantages of your location. Uh, so, just one example I came across the other day is the uh, blog post from uh, district of uh, Whistler, so resort municipality. Um, so they're showcasing five top reasons to work remotely in Whistler. Uh, so obviously, uh, I don't know, access to outdoor fun uh, is there all the time and uh, reason number one. But uh, it was really easy uh, to find, uh, to come across an article like this. Uh, and just by seeing you know, attractive photos, uh, it's important to, you know, uh, to showcase your advantages and things like that. Now, uh, I'm talking not about only putting the data portal on your investment attraction or talent attraction website, but also using uh, other resources like blogging platforms, uh, influencers, and anyone really who can share your story, uh, not only throughout Canada, but worldwide. Uh, and uh, an example that this works is uh, our only example where we moved from Malta, never being Canada before, uh, to the Okanagan, to Kelowna, about which we didn't even hear before and we didn't know it, it existed at all. Next thing here uh, is the so what are the challenges for not only for remote workers but also for the for the communities. Uh, so the biggest challenge for remote workers is the integration due to cultural differences. Uh, it's the new beginning for the immigrants. So we the immigrants they most in most cases change continents and come into a completely new environment uh, and they start from from scratch because uh, in our own example so we were the homeowners back in uh, our own home country but when we moved to Canada uh, we are here and we start with zero credit rating so it was uh, a challenge even to get a credit card you know from, from the bank even with a reference letter uh, from our bank so this make it real, makes it really difficult you know to, uh, to start and if you have an entrepreneurial idea uh, you're practically on your own at least that's what it looks like but uh, luckily there are some talk about solutions. Uh, one next challenge is the isolation uh, due to working from home for remote workers and lack of human inter interaction, uh, thus creating uh, poor life uh, work-life balance. Uh, some other challenges uh, challenges for communities is the limited infrastructure, whether it be so high-speed internet or the lack of co-working space, uh, limited access to services like education, healthcare, childcare, and so on. Uh, limited job opportunities if uh, those remote workers look for supplemental income for, for their families. Uh, potential lack of housing or affordable housing. Uh, limited social uh, opportunities 
our communities where the population is more uh, spread out uh, and limited uh, awareness of uh, remote work opportunities. Uh, so what are the solutions to these challenges? Uh, again, uh, what communities can do is invest in the uh, infrastructure, also create uh, if, if there is no, for example, high-speed internet, communities can get together uh, and start a private project in uh, bringing in high-speed internet to their communities or showcasing the very satellite internet available, uh, creating co-working spaces. And we heard about a couple of examples where, uh, for example, the brand, uh, bank closed the branch uh, in a particular small town uh, and the community got together, purchased that property and they created the co-working space. And co-working space is particularly important uh, for workers because that's where they can get together, they can improve their um, social interaction um, and so that's also how uh, new ideas for, for new businesses can get sparked simply through interaction between them. Uh, so if we talk for example about immigrants, uh, I think immigrants are, after moving to Canada, big majority are uh, already primed for becoming entrepreneurs uh, and creating new jobs because uh, obviously being an entrepreneur is uh, involves uh, taking risk and uh, they took the largest risk that can, that can be by leaving their home country and you know changing the continents and moving to a new country and starting from scratch. Also, uh, they are already ready to, to take the risk and, uh, and move forward. Uh, other things that communities can do is uh, try to develop uh, those local job opportunities um, uh, to create the possibility for, for them to have that supplemental income. Uh, although uh, by attracting remote workers, that uh, solves a part of this problem because uh, let's say if, uh, I don't know, a couple moves into a community and one of them is a remote worker, uh, the other one can maybe uh, realize that there is a demand for childcare space. And space and, start a childcare center, for example. So uh, that's just one example. Uh, and obviously creating the affordable housing uh, is uh, equally important. Uh, if possible, uh, the communities need to do something about it, either by uh, creating uh, amendments of the zone, zoning and so creating bylaws, which would uh, make it easier for uh, to create such options. Other ideas to overcome these challenges of uh, building social opportunities, so like uh, any kind of local clubs, uh, regular events, meetups, uh, festivals, so anything so basically creating the content for those people. Once they come in there, uh, remote workers not only do you know spend their money on grocery shopping uh, and then go elsewhere, you know, and uh, spend their money for leisure, but uh, to be able to spend within the community as well and have that sense that there is enough entertainment within the community so that helps in uh, retention um, yeah so providing financial support so this is one uh, potential solution for uh, helping immigrants having that cold start once they're here uh, luckily we heard uh, during the economic summit that there are such options where uh, local credit unions are or future printer, for example, are granting some uh, small uh, small amount loans to immigrants who come up with the business plan and the business idea. Uh, so there are options. When we moved to Canada, something like that didn't exist. So we, were, we started our entrepreneurial career from day one, uh, but we were spending uh, the money that we got from selling our condo back in, in Serbia, where we were from. Um, yeah. Another thing that communities can do is create partnerships and networks. So those partnerships can be either with uh, developers, for example, in creating affordable 
housing uh, or partnerships and networks between uh, communities in the region uh, because coming out on the market uh, together uh, makes you stronger because you're simply able to offer more content uh, and overcome uh, those challenges that we talked about uh, easier. Uh, so let's talk briefly uh, about uh, everything uh, about CTVs. Uh, CTV is the, is the web-based data portal for economic development, which is integrated into municipal uh, or economic uh, investment attraction and economic development websites. Um, it's an enterprise level uh, tool with most comprehensive data set on the market compared to uh, competitors, most flexible and adaptable. Uh, and it can serve as a community profile uh, has features like economic indicators, dashboards, monthly updated real estate data, uh, report builder which communities use uh, for grant applications uh, or for council presentations because it offers export into PDF or uh, PowerPoint or Excel with just a few clicks of a button where users select relevant data sets including remote working. Um, yeah, possibility for, uh, for client organizations to add their own data which they can collect internally uh, and stuff like that. It is used by communities from coast to coast, so starting from the uh, district of Souk uh, on the west coast uh, all the way to New Brunswick. We, we work with uh, several indigenous communities in New Brunswick. Obviously there is a gap, <laughs> a little bit of a gap in between, but uh, we're still relatively new on the market uh, compared to uh, other providers, but we've been here since uh, 2021 uh, with the first client, which was Regional District of Central Okanagan. So, yeah, uh, we're participating regularly at the BC Economic Summit as speakers and exhibitors and supporting the uh, BC Economic Development Community. So, if you'd like to learn more about CTVs, uh, you can book an online tour at ctvs.ca/demo uh, or contact us directly at the info at ctvs.ca or by phone or yeah, on the phone so 250317-5636 so we will uh, share the PDF version of the presentation uh, so the PDF version is pretty large so it's not possible to be attached to the um, to the email uh, but we will upload it on the Google Drive and then share the download link with you uh, I think we presented really a large amount of information during the presentation here which hopefully you can use uh, and if you need uh, if you have questions or need any more information you can reach out to us at any time and we can work together uh, in supporting your communities not only in uh, attracting remote workers but uh, any develop economic development activity really uh, so i will just stop this presentation now and uh, i will try to share my screen just quickly uh, Sasha, can you ask yeah. for uh, you know you forgot the q a yeah sure yeah So I'll just take a look at the chat. So is the BC or remote work survey data broken up further to the local level? Is data analysis publicly available? So uh, can I provide the link? Uh, so that's a good question. Uh, it depends because uh, the model that we've built uh, in CTVs, and let me just share my screen so that uh, we can see what we're talking about.
Anyway, so uh, there is really vast amount of data which is um, used for, for the remote, remote work model and some of the data sets uh, do include breakdown by uh, smaller communities, but not all. Uh, so if you need more information, uh, reach out to us uh, and we can see what exactly you're looking for. Uh, in particular, for example, if we talk about uh, the anticipated uh, work arrangements, so are people be working from home? Uh, that data set is at the uh, provincial level, but there are other other data sets which are at the community level, like uh, cross comparison of remote workers by education, uh, immigration by uh, and, and by income groups as well, uh, immigration by uh, education. So those uh, various cross custom cross tabulations which come from uh, census, they are generally available at the community level, including including smaller communities. And uh, things like, for example, the interprovincial migration uh, is and migration between uh, urban and rural areas is available only for uh, population centers of 10,000 people and, and more. Uh, hope that answers that question. Um, okay, so this is really interesting but coming across a bit pixel is always screen is there a way to get a copy of the slide deck yes so we will share the pdf version um, difficult to absorb the numbers in this space sorry about that there was a lot of ground to cover so <laughs> we had to go quickly uh, but there will be pdf version available so uh, it will be the screenshots will be more crisp uh, and we can also provide the links to some of the communities who are, that are using CTVs and the way it's all working is we deployed the CTVs for the communities that, uh, that want to use it so it's a standalone data portal uh, but we fetch the data which pertain to their community only uh, so if we would like to take advantage of something like that uh, we can work together in providing an instance for your community uh, again feel free to reach out and uh, we can discuss the can organize the first walkthrough and then we can take it from there. Uh, okay. Uh, great research station. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Ryan and I, we go a long way. <laughs> uh, I need to mention that the internet coverage is the uh, something that came as an idea from Ryan. So uh, when we first met and I showed him what CTVs does, he said, uh, like, you know, uh, when the investors come in and they, the first thing they ask me, like, is there internet available? So now we are able to to showcase that so thanks ryan for that <laughs> uh reaching remote workers like we're doing marketing campaign are there any specific channels or strategies you would recommend also uh, obviously uh, i think there are a couple of uh, aspects over there uh, so first of all it's important to uh, have something uh, an asset like this like cities for example uh, which can showcase uh, the advantages of your community uh, at any point in time so it's typically integrated into municipal or investment or talent interaction website uh, and in that way users not only remote workers but investors developers or uh, policy makers can uh, utilize it to you know make uh, informed decisions uh, but that's only one aspect and it's uh, uh, compared to other options it's passive but i think it's in uh, nowadays it's really a necessity uh, to have something like that because uh, in that way you are also improving uh, the image of the community by showcasing that uh, you are into uh, you know providing the technology for uh, remote workers to succeed and another channel is i mentioned that during the presentation also by utilizing any other options like uh, social media platforms uh, blogging uh, blogs are still pretty good because things like i don't know facebook twitter uh, even linkedin they are pretty instant so uh, 
or something and it's there it's uh, it's uh, active now but then you know it gets you know more and it gets buried in, in a lot of content but having blog posts uh, out there and then sharing that also across social media uh, creates again the asset which is there available for for potential remote workers at all times uh, are you aware of any research on local land use development models that support remote work oh uh, that's a great question so so far we didn't come across something like that uh, but uh, definitely we are able to for example uh, bundle in uh, land use uh, current land use that come from, from municipalities uh, to showcase basically uh, what kind of land is available out there uh, and then but I think that, that typically would be aimed primarily at investors and developers rather than uh, remote workers because they are looking at through that high level remote work. Uh, today we will give a general overview of the community information tool. I might say kit as well. Uh, we lovingly call it the kit, so sorry if I keep interchanging. But yeah, so we'll give an overview of the tool and how it can benefit economic development practitioners and those involved in economic development with all levels of government. So what is this tool, you might be wondering? It is a one-stop shop for information about communities in BC. Um, it offers insight, insights into statistical info where you can find um, data on connectivity, facilities, social and economic data. Um, so when we say facilities, we're saying places like hospitals, schools, um, other data like social and economic data. We're talking about labor force statistics and census population stats. You can find it all in this one place. Um, so it aggregates data from Stats Canada, the BC Data Catalog, and other provincial and federally vetted websites. So it pulls up all this data from all these different places and puts them in one place so you can find it easily. So how can the community information tool help you? We have three prongs to this. So we have to learn, the discover, and the when we say learn, we're talking about learning about a community or region in a very high-level way, but getting that that um, basic high-level view of what's happening in a community. Um, when we say discover, you can use criteria, criteria you have based on your work to input parameters to find communities that fit that specific criteria. And when we say compare, you can compare two areas or two regions, communities against one another to see the differences or the similarities. And now Sue's going to go and dive in deeper into these three um, ways you can use the tool. The community information tool can be used in three different ways. The first way is by learning more about a specific area of the province. Learn more about an area allows you to select a specific geographic area, such as a regional district or economic area, and view reports that present connectivity, facilities, economic, and social data for your selected area. In the connectivity report, you can see the overall status of connectivity for your selected area of interest. In the facilities report, you can view a wide range of facilities available within your selected area, such as schools, hospitals, airports, and emergency social service facilities. In the economic report, you can view statistics related to the local economy for your selected area, such as education levels, labor force information, 
business, industries, and key resource sectors. And in the social report, you will find census information related to population, visible minorities, income, and housing. The next area of the community information tool allows you to discover areas within the province that meet criteria you define. Within Discover an Area, you can use a geographic filter if you are only interested in a particular area of the province, such as a specific economic or health authority region. You can use the economic filter to find areas of the province that meet your criteria for access to connectivity, income, unemployment rates, working age, and more. Users can also use a proximity filter if you want to highlight areas that have key facilities nearby, such as a school or a hospital. Using these filters will help you narrow down what areas of the province meet a range of criteria that you define. And the third and final way you can use the community information tool is with the comparison feature. This tool allows you to compare two regions of the province side by side. For example, you can compare one economic region to the entire province or one community to another community. The ability to select two areas to compare and view key statistics about those areas allows you to easily see how your chosen areas of interest differ from one another, as well as you can see where there's similarities between your selected areas. And now we're going to move on to the demo portion of the tool. All right, let's get into the demo, the fun stuff. Um, again, please post your questions in the chat. If I'm going to fast, let me know. If I'm going to slow, let me know. Um, I'm down for any sort of feedback. So I'm going to set up a bit of a scenario that we're going to do today, and then we're going to just do that in the demo. So the scenario we're doing is identifying communities that lack connectivity and emergency services, and may be significantly impacted by natural disasters along the BC coast. Um, I'm going to just pretend that I'm a BC government employee and that is why I need to research this. But first I'm going to tell you about what we're looking at right now. This is the home page and those buttons that Sue is playing with is our user story. So she said, if she said she's a representative of the community and she's interested in discovering an area with particular characteristics and then she's pressing let's go. So the cool thing about it is it creates a bit of a user journey and then it shows you the report. Um, and so this is the criteria report that we were talking about, the second one that Sue was talking about, um, or the discover. Um, and this is what you get once you click on it. Uh, it's a bit it's a bit overwhelming at first, but that's what I'm here to do is to walk you through it. The first three um, filters on top are just the different filters that Sue was talking about, the geographic filter, the economic filter, and the proximity filter um, for this specific um, use case we are we're looking at all of British Columbia and then you can see below the filters there's a map and then next to the map is a list of subdivisions and communities in this scenario we were saying that um, we are looking for communities that lack connectivity you can see in the economic filter that there is a percent of households with 5010 which means high-speed internet so we're gonna just uh, narrow it down so it's only looking for communities that have 0 to 50% connectivity. Anything below 50% we're assuming is not great connectivity levels in a community. 
and you can see that the report is already filtering. You can see the map filtering and the list on the side filtering. Um, next, we're going to look at the proximity filters because we're saying that there's no emergency services nearby. So when you look at these, um, once they load up, you'll say there's no hospital nearby, there's no pharmacy nearby, and there's no first responders nearby. You can see that it starts loading and filtering out so you can find relevant communities. It takes a second to load because there's just so much data. <laughs> but I promise you it does load. Um, and then there we go. We can see that there's 162 uh, communities that fit this bill and 53 sets of subdivisions. But if you remember, there's one part that about this that we haven't filtered out, and that is um, the BC coast. We're looking for communities that would be impacted by natural disasters on the coast. So we're going to zoom in and then highlight the regions near the coast, and then you'll see the list is filtering down from there. So you'll see on the list that first you see the subdivisions, and then you click the plus sign, and you'll see communities. Um, from this, we're going to just choose a, I want to say random community, but we did actually work on the community beforehand. We'll look at Central um, Coast A, a census subdivision, and Goose Bay as the community. And maybe we want to learn more about Goose Bay. So we're going to go scroll to the top and adjust our user story. We went into, I'm interested in learning more about the province. That's the learn factor that she was talking about. And then I would like to look at communities and then she searched for Goose Bay. And then we're gonna go into view results for your new search. Um, this way we can learn a little bit more about Goose Bay and what's really going on there. Why is it so vulnerable? Um, once this report uh, loads up, it looks like a totally different report than the criteria or discovered. Um, report. So here we have four tabs. We have the connectivity, the facilities, and um, the economic and social. Uh, right now we're just going to focus on connectivity because one of the main factors is that this uh, region is not connected. So as Sue has zoomed in on the map and you can see a bit more about Goose Bay, you can see there's a total of a household of 156 and none of them have 50 cent connection, which is high speed internet connection. Um, which isn't the greatest thing ever because that means that it's difficult for this community to get help in case of an emergency because internet services are severely lacking. Without access to that reliable high-speed internet, the community might be unable to communicate that they need help if they ever need help, right? Um, and then we can go to the facilities tab to see if maybe there's some uh, emergency services nearby that aren't within the radius. So you'll see the map has a blue line radius of what the census subdivision is that encompasses Goose Bay. And you'll see that there's no emergency services in there if you were to zoom in. And then you'll see on the side that there is a first responders um, nearby. So if you were to look at that, you actually notice that it is um, the Coast Guard located in Bella Bella or the Ocean Falls Fire Department that are the first responders nearby. So they're not actually in the census subdivision per se, but they are surrounding, so they are closer, but not actually in or around Goose Bay. So if you are one of those uh, 156 households in Goose Bay, you might be in fear of what could happen if 
you have no connectivity and can't get in touch with an emergency service provider, which is something as me, as a representative of the community or a BC government um, employee, wants to see if I can fix, right? Um, and now I have some proof that there is nothing nearby. Um, from our research, we can see that Goose Bay is a great example of a vulnerable community that would be significantly impacted by a major natural disaster along the coast. Um, so we've now walked through a bit of a demo, and you can see that we didn't explore the two tabs of economic or social, um, but we want to explore those. So let's throw away the user story that we were working with and look for a different community. Um, so we're going to go with Sandwich because that is a community I'm very familiar with since I live in it. And we're going to go to view results and look at the economic and social tabs and explore those a bit more. So if we go to the economic tab, something you've probably noted by now is that there's census data on all the tabs. And now I'm going to talk about it a bit more since we're out of the little scenario. Um, the census data just is a roundup of census population statistics. The cool thing about the census data is that we have 2021 data 2016 data and you can just flip through the toggle there um, and see 2016 data compared to 2021 data so here in 2016 the population was 114,000 and now in 2021 the population is 117,000 going up by three percent if you uh, scroll down the economic page you'll see education and labor force stats and business stats and if anything is uh, of interest to you, you can see that the source is right next to the title. So if you were to look at the labor force stats, you can see that the source is the BC data catalog. And if you clicked on that source, it would take you to where the raw data exists. So within here, the raw data exists for all of the data, and you can download the CSV file or the Excel file and just play around with the raw data if you're someone super comfortable with data like that and you don't need it all um, but yeah that's just a bit of economic page and when you go to the social page you'll see the census demographics as well and the social page is made up of a ton of census demographics so in here the 2016 and 2021 toggle actually um, filters out the whole page which is kind of cool and you'll see population by age and gender you'll see some uh, visible minority data if you go down it'll talk about housing and income and it gives you just a good representation of what's going on in Sandwich right now this is a really neat tool I I can see communities using it um, especially the, the first search feature that you walk through say there's a business that's interested in locating in your town but requires certain services that's a that's a really good example of, of how to how an economic developer could use that tool as well yeah that is a great example of how they could use it um and then there's one last way you could use this tool and it is the uh the compare function so again we're going back to the user story and we're going into and i'm interested in comparing an area to another area. Uh, we're going back to good old Goose Bay because we're all familiar with it now. And so you can see you can filter at the top. Uh, it says compare areas and it says select areas to compare. We click community and we filtered for Goose Bay. And then we clicked another community and we filtered for Prince Rupert. We preloaded this just because it does take a while to load in all the data and 
today is just one of those days where we're just, you know, technology is failing everyone. So we don't want to risk anything. Um, but yeah, so once you do that, you can filter for the communities you want to compare. And since they're both coastal communities, it's kind of fun to compare them. Like the census demographics, there's only 149 who's Uh, 
Uh, we just have to find the best source to get that data, but that is a really good point, Terry, and we will definitely look into that a lot more. Um, all right, so there, there we are with the economic filters. So we have percent of households, um, 50 times which is high-speed internet. We have population trends, so if the population has decreased or increased, um, we have education, we have working age population ratio, household income, unemployment rate, and share of employment in the natural resource sectors for the economic filters. And then when we go into the proximity filters, um, we have stuff like airports nearby, hospitals nearby, pharmacies nearby, post-secondaries nearby, public libraries, port and terminals, timber facilities, um, and I can't see all of the major projects, first responders, and then community technology type or custom, custom ports of entry. So those are all of the filters we have. And again, we're always looking for more data to add here. We just need to find the sources. Um, so if you ever have anything that is a good uh, source, you can send it our way because we are happy to add it or we're happy to look for data as well. So like the communities with disabilities, we will definitely go back and look into that. All right, I'll wait a couple couple more uh, seconds for some more questions, or not just a couple seconds, but we'll be okay long. I'm really looking forward to exploring the tool further. I think it's really something you have to kind of dive into. Definitely. Very useful information for building your community profile, or again, like I said, for providing additional information to businesses that are looking for services in your community. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly how we want everyone to use it as well. So I think that might wrap it up. If you do have more questions, again, email us. We're happy to answer them. Uh, but thank you so much for being such an attentive audience and having us here to present this, actually. Um, it's just great to get to present this and show this to the public and see what they see or see what else they want to see in this tool. So thank you. Of course. If anybody's not signed up for tomorrow's webinar, do you have a little pitch for them? <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. How could I forget? So tomorrow's <laughs> webinar is the community, the community Investment Opportunities Tool. So that is a tool that helps showcase investment opportunities within BC when it comes to agricultural, commercial, and industrial lands. We're going to just showcase how that tool can be used by community representatives to showcase land opportunities and we are working with jedi um so the job oh gosh i can never remember what the ministry name is but <laughs> economic development and innovation and innovation thank you ashley uh we're working with that team to get this tool in the hands of investors um so we're we're working with communities to get sites uploaded and working with investors so they will actually look at these sites and we're really happy to showcase it here um so, yeah, see you tomorrow because I know you'll all come to that. <laughs> I'll be there. Thanks very much, and I hope everybody's enjoying Economic Development Week. Uh, feel free to email BCPA or Connected Communities team for more information, and we'll send uh, the recording post webinar here as well. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Have a great afternoon.
Is that all done now? It was only 22 minutes. So I'm just going to give you a little editorial. When I was new to the Community Economic Development Committee, CED Committee on the UBCM Executive Board, the chair was Mayor Angelica Ferney, and she was so jazzed about this tool, the CIT tool. It's a really helpful thing for economic development practitioners so that they can find out what kind of services are available in any region in British Columbia. It is uh, developed by the British Columbia government. I think it was rolled out through the Ministry of Municipal Affairs or Citizen Services. I know that we had uh, one of our advocacy days, uh, not this past year, but the year prior with uh, Minister Bear, Lisa Bear, and connectivity is huge. I know that uh, people who are moving here to Tassis now are really looking for uh, a quality of internet that is from uh, more serviced areas and they are bringing their jobs with them and so we need to um, have uh, I know that I think I, I think I read in an email that the connected coast project is coming around with like sort of a Google uh, Maps type camera to do surveys of the streets 360 degree um, video uh, so that they can have that information and uh, I know that I've signed my home up to be um, on the dropping in for Connected Coast so that we can have City West internet and um, cable when that is available. I know that they're laying undersea cable in the ocean and that is going to help us with um, getting uh, speeds uh, out of the Vancouver Internet Exchange and and make it more of a level playing field with respect to uh, internet connectivity. I know a lot of people are doing uh, things like doctor's visits on the internet now and I also know that like I'm myself going to focus on facilities, economic and of course the social element of things because I can look at as many uh, food channel type shows as I want, but if I don't make myself a sandwich, I'm not nourished. So I recognize that the internet has a lot of capacity and I've learned to be somewhat of an influencer, a gig worker of sorts since getting elected and, and, and changing the kind of scope of my digital presence. Uh, I didn't, didn't join the Twitter until I was elected in 2018. And I used to use the internet to keep in touch with my family that lives far away. And now I see how I am having more people who know me through the internet and through my sort of uh, reels and posts. So I see how it's a really helpful tool for branding, marketing, um, and also like I do this podcast on the internet and it's on the anchor platform. It started out on the Spreaker platform. Um, and I filled that one up and now I am migrated over to this. This is the fourth season of the Waterfowl podcast. My name is Sarah Fowler. It is economic development week in British Columbia. The date is May 10th. Um, this episode won't come out until February, I think, of next year, and it is going to be episode, uh, 15, um, or maybe it's going to come out 
in at the end of January, so this is going to be the economic development episode. Uh, I did miss um, the th one of the things that I was planning to attend uh, on Monday, uh, but I, I tuned into attracting and retaining remote workers yesterday, uh, and today's was the CIT. Tomorrow is the CIOT, so I think that stands for opportunities. Um, and then there is the one about ambassadors on Friday. So I will be trying to attend all of these Economic Development Week um, webinars uh, put on through the BCE DA. I also am the chair of the CED committee now for the UBCM. So that is the Community Economic Development. And I'm really trying to focus on ways that we can support businesses um, because they do really play an important role in the social fabric of every community. Uh, I also know that when, uh, like Tassis, just as an example, is a mill town without a mill anymore. The mill shut down in 20, 2000. And uh, so that's been 23 years now since we have had the one employer model of all everybody working for the mill who lives here, uh, and then sort of having the money trickle down through there. Uh, so now we've really diversified the economy. We have fishing tourism. We have uh, people like myself who I was a lifeguard prior to getting elected. And also I was serving in some of the fishing lodges and restaurants. And I recognize how having uh, services for people is really important and also sort of being a part of a bigger thing. I know that many people here in Tassis go to Campbell River for things like hospitals, um, banks. Those are some of the things that were mentioned in today's webinar of the CIT tool that stands for Community Information Tool. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, tune in again. Uh, I think tomorrow's webinar will still be a part of this episode, but uh, happy economic development week out there uh, for everyone who is working to um, provide services in our shared economy. And my name again is Sarah Fowler. You're listening to the Waterfowl podcast, and it is produced here at the Green Antler in the village of Tassis. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Research, like the opportunity, um, the available properties that are around the province using a search function criteria, really putting in what they want to see, the zoning, acreage, the site servicing, all of those things, just to be able to, to come up with um, a really comprehensive list um, based on the properties that are uploaded into the tool. So, Robin, can you go to, to the next tool? The tool is very, very easy to use. Really, why we kind of developed it, as I said, it was kind of built for, by, for communities, by communities, basically, if we would say. Um, back in 2020, had um, we had the opportunity when Stronger BC uh, was going, was coming around to look at 
how could you support economic recovery in, in the province? What were some of the other things that we could do? And really the goal of the tool was to increase underutilized lands and consider sort of how we can better distribute industrial land throughout the province. Um, how can we, um, you know, have investors look at other opportunities within, um, within the, uh, I'm sorry, is my screen all messed up? Are you, oh, okay, good. <laughs> the tool is a bit messy or the, my screen is showing a bit funny. Um, but so when we were going out, um, what we started hearing through sessions with communities and local governments is that there are some communities across BC that have available industrial lands but really have few um, avenues to advertise it or bring these opportunities to the attention of investors. Um, we know there's lots of places and spaces, we know there's lots of um, uh, other, other organizations that are doing this type of work, but what we heard was that, um, you know, there's kind of a, a kind of some have a bit of a capacity issue, whether they had um, an opportunity, you know, lots of resources behind them to promote their opportunities and or if, um, and, and some that did and are doing very well on their sites and then others that actually didn't have that. And we were, we were looking at how to level the playing field, if you will, um, based on feedback from communities and our local economic, economic development officers. How could you actually get these kind of big you know, when investors were looking at opportunities within the province, um, oftentimes, you know, they they know about Vancouver, they may know they know about BC, they may know about Vancouver and maybe Victoria or one or two other locations, but they really don't understand sort of um, the what else is out there in BC. And so, through um, a very sort of uh, uh, intuitive tool, um, they can search for the types of criteria that they're looking for and actually when bring up the list of the available properties, um, you'll see very clearly that it levels the playing field because all the opportunities look the same. So all their search criteria is based on, on what they're looking for. Um, Robin, are we, is our depth a little bit messed up or stew? I'm on a community one. I'm not sure where you guys are. Sorry about, it's technically glitchy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> We're on the community slide. I think the slide before this was just really glitchy for everyone. So I think Sue just went to the slide instead. Okay, great. Um, so um, we'll talk about sort of how the kit or the, the, the information opportunities tool compares to um, different um, investment sites. And I'm sorry, I'm a little bit, uh, that one other side had a bit of information in it for you, but that's okay. Um, but so what we'll do is, is, is we'll run you through, I think, the demo um, of the tool, uh, just so we can get to it so you can see. But we really want to um, bring you back to talking about why the tool is different or how the tool is different. So maybe we'll start with the demo and maybe we can sort of flip our, our script around a little bit, um, uh, Stephen Raman, just so we can get to the tool um, and then we can just sort of catch up with some of those questions and those comments on, on why and how the tool is done. So let's have a look at it right now. Sue and myself will be doing the demo. I'm Robin and Sue is driving the tool. I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get going, just so everyone feels comfortable while we're going through this. I might be looking up because my big screen has everything on. I'm so sorry. It's a bit, it looks like I'm not making eye contact. 
just say this in the chat. So if you have questions while this is going on, while the demo is going on, or the latter part of the presentation is going on, please feel free to chat, um, type in the chat. If I'm super skilled, I'll get to it while we're doing the demo, but you know, he'll be challenging me. So um, we will get to the questions at the end of this presentation. And then once the demo's done, which will take about 15 minutes, there's about a couple more slides that Jeannie will go through. Um, so in this demo, we're going to go through what it's like being a community representative trying to post a tool and also what it's like being an investor who wants to search for a property. Uh, so there's two um, options in here. Uh, we're starting off with the landing page here. So this is the home page. We'll send the link to this tool. Um, I think Justine will do that in the chat. So you can also follow along if you want to. Uh, so yeah, this is the tool, this is the landing page. It tells you to find an investment opportunity or promote an investment land. And then it tells you a little bit about how the program works. So first we're gonna start off with me being a community representative. We'll Sue and I together, because Sue's driving this. Um, and we're gonna list a property. We're gonna click list property and you get to this dashboard manage opportunities area. Um, it tells you how it works at first, and then you can go ahead and add your first opportunity. There's a button there. We're not going to read through all of this and bore you. So um, you can go ahead and click add your first opportunity. And since we're all having some technical difficulties, Sue's just has, has a tab open for us. But first, you would be prompted to uh, log in using your business BCE ID. So every community representative can get a BC, uh, business BCE ID. They can just sign up for one it's pretty easy and or if you already have one just use the login and you'll get to the screen to add an opportunity there's five steps to this process so you can see the first step is location second is view data third is property details fourth is additional info and five is review and submit so it's super simple and easy and laid up for you so we're going to go ahead and add an opportunity um, we're going to type an opportunity in. We're typing in 1044 Cree Road, Fort St. John, BC. Once you start typing it in, it might just auto-populate for you, so you can just click it. Um, we're going to use this example of our good old friends up north in Fort St. John. And once you hit enter and populate it in, you can see the parcel on the map. Uh, we can just zoom in on it. It's a little pink square. And then some information gets updated, like the ownership, the parcel size, and then there's some uh, things you have to click on. So first it is the, um, the if the land, uh, if there's a representative from Fort St. John that, that owns the land and you have approval from it, you have to press yes. Um, if you don't have approval or pending approval, you need to select that as well. Um, and then afterwards, there's some terms and conditions that you have to select, and then you can go to the next page. So let's go to the next page. Um, now we are on the second section, which is new data. You can see you're, you're done the first step because it's checked mark. Um, all of this data is being auto-populated in here. Uh, this is the property details tab. Uh, the tool automatically supplements the site with key location information from BC government data. Um, which will be automatically imported from the tool into the listing. The data comes from the BC data catalog, all sorts of different places that we pull from to get this data. Um, if for some reason you look at this and you're like, oh, I got the wrong listing, you can go all the way down and you can edit it and go to the previous page to edit it. So at any point of this stage, you can go backwards and be like, oh, I got something wrong and you can edit it. Um, so it's perfect. Um, just go and look at all this data. You can 
can see information about the physical site in terms of elevation and nearest lake and river, transportation to the nearest highway or railway, any relevant site servicing information, and a list of nearby communities as well as their population, which is kind of cool because if you're an investor coming in from somewhere else, you might want to know what, is, what some of the bigger cities are nearby. With this page, we're hoping to reduce the barriers for communities to promote their investment opportunities, especially if communities don't know where to find all this information. We can just pull it all in one place rather than them Googling and looking or looking through their old files for it. You might notice, though, that some of the sections like site servicing, um, there is information missing. So we're going to go ahead and click continue and go to the next page so you can start supplementing these property details. So in here, we get to choose if this property is for sale or for lease. We get to add an asking price um, as well as the current zoning. So here we're going to say the zoning is industrial. The designation is as well um, going to be industrial. Yep. And then you get to choose the preferred development. So something unique here is you get to indicate the preferred development and the opportunity itself. So to, um, itself to filter the type of investment um, they are seeking to occupy the land. So there are a variety of in the drop-down list relating to agricultural, food services, technology, construction. You can choose as many as you want in here. Um, this opportunity has all of the site servicing options, so we're just going to click yes for all of them, just so you can see what it means when you click yes. Um, you can see a drop-down comes up for most of them, so you can start uh, populating what it means to have um, the water supply, right? So do you have site access to the water supply, and then you can type in capacity. We're just going to type in some random numbers of so go ahead and make up some random numbers for that because as someone who's not a community representative for St. John, I don't really know what's going on, <laughs> but we're making it up five for all of them. And then we'll go on to the next step, section. So now we're on step four. And this is where you get to write a bit more about your site. Um, so in this site information section, we're going to go ahead and just write something like new opportunity for investment, Fort St. John brochure available for download online. You can see this page is different than the rest. The rest of them has a yes, no format, but here it lets you lets you type stuff in and really make it personal and enhance the um, site you're uploading in the way that you want. And environmental um, information section so you can add stuff about environmental sensitivity uh, we're just going to skip this one because it's optional but you can add the environmental sensitivity like any parks nearby or any like Gary Oaks treaties or something like that <laughs> and in here the link to your community website we'll just write www.investment.com and we also said there was a brochure available so we'll just write www.investment.com but here's where you would link to those things that you referred to above um, and then there's the business contacts so, so you can select the use the contact name and email associated with the BCEID login, which we're going to keep. Um, and then it's just going to get your information from your BCEID. Or you can deselect it, add whoever the actual person is. You might be doing this on behalf of someone. And you'll add a title or a role so they know what your official capacity is. And then you can go ahead and press continue. And then we're on the last step, which is the review step. So we are on the review step here and we get to add a name. We're not gonna get too creative with it. We're just gonna name it the creative 
road corridor. Then we're going to go ahead and review everything that's in here and make sure it's correct to what we want it to look like because this is what it's going to look like when the investor is looking for the site, right? So just keep scrolling down and look at everything. You can see that uh, the visit, uh, it says visit community site and that's in there and all of the data's in there. Um, and then you can go ahead and click submit this property or submit my property um, and then it gets submitted. And it doesn't get posted right away. It also doesn't go into the unknown. Um, the CIOT inbox is, um, gets an email and the CIOT admin will go ahead through an approval process and approve it, which takes three to five business days. Um, and then when, when it's sold, you can either, the CIOT admin will give it a sold uh, status or um, if it's been longer than 90 days and the opportunity is still there, we want to keep the site relevant. So an email will come to you as the contributor or the community representative, and you will have to say if this uh, property is still relevant or not. Um, but yes, that is what you would do as a community representative. I see there might be some questions in the chat. And I, I guess I'm just not as talented as I thought I was. We'll get to them at the end. <laughs> um, so we're going to go ahead and pretend that I'm an investor now because we want to see what happens when you search for properties. So you click search properties and you get this awesome page where you have the um, filters on the left side there. Um, there's a variety of filters including size, site servicing, power transmission, zoning, transportation, nearby communities and more. When investors are searching for sites, they'll often have some specific criteria in mind for their investment and these filters encompass a lot of selection criteria. And you can see on the right, we have a map with some uh, sites on there. And if you scroll down, you can see all the 12 sites that we have in here. Um, and we're going to get many more, of course. So that is just how this looks. And now we're going to pretend to be an investor that has some specific criteria in mind to find a specific site that we want to see. We're going to start off with, let's say we want an ideal parcel size of about one um, to 200 acres. So we're going to go ahead and click the parcel size and do 0 to 200. After clicking save, it's going to load, do the loading thing as it always does. And then we're going to see that the um, investment opportunities filter down. Of course, today it's going to take a while to load because that is what today is like going like. So there we go. Now we have 11 properties that match that. Um, and then we're going to go ahead because 11 properties is still too much to look through for an investor and we're going to go ahead and say that we're looking for commercial and industrial light or heavy only and it filters down a bit more again we're, we're just in the loading phase but that's what happens when you have all this good data uh, there we go and now it's narrowed down to seven properties which is great it's getting narrowed down more but we want to filter a bit more so we want to make sure our investment opportunity has grown access because we want people to get there we want water access because we don't want to deal with all that plumbing issues and we want to make sure it's connectivity so that means it has high speed internet so we don't have to get all that set up and it, once it starts loading we know or we're hoping that there's a something that matches we might know because we may have already done this demo before but um, it's gonna load and we're gonna see it 
there we go. We have six properties that match. Um, and then we're going to get a bit more specific because we just want to show you how great this is. Um, and we're going to say that we have um, a specific area of, of the province in mind already that we want to invest in or have limitations around um, population. So we're going to go to the nearby communities option to filter our search. And we're going to say we want about a zero to 50 kilometer radius from a population of at least 50,000 because we want people to have access to this property for whatever reason. Um, I'm obviously not a really great uh, investor because I'm just paying for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to put on my investor hat. <laughs> and then it loads and then look at that, we have a property match which is a thousand wave flights in Nymo. We're going to go ahead and just click on it so we can see the property details. And it loads and look at that, you see what we saw on the review page. You see all of the um, info and right now, oh, there we go. You see all of the info, amazing, about this property. You can see on the top right corner, you can copy the listing link or email the list listing link if you want to send it to someone. Or you can view it as a PDF and email that to someone as well. And then you see all of the information about this um, area and you can see the business contact that you have to connect with. And then if you scroll up a bit, you can see the map that it, um, is there, but you can also see the nearby communities. And the nearby communities have a link to them that you can click on. So if you clicked on Nanaimo, it would take you to a tool called the Community Information Tool. And if you were here yesterday, you saw myself do and Justin present this amazing tool. And it links to Nanaimo within the Community Information Tool so you can learn a bit more about Nanaimo. Because if you were someone from outside of even the island, you might not know what's going on in Nanaimo. And do you really want to invest in something that's in Nanaimo? Maybe you really do. And it seems like the best community ever, right? So you can look at um, connectivity, facilities, economic and social data within Nanaimo. We won't go through this tool too much. It's just something that's a cool feature that you can do in the community and it's an opportunities tool. Um, so yeah, that is what an investor can do with this with this tool. And that is, that is a good wrap up of a demo. Um, so we will go ahead and give it to Jeannie to finish off the rest of the slides and then we will do a bit of a question period because I see the questions coming in so we're happy you're all engaged. I'll unmute myself. Thank you so much, Mom and Sue. Um, so that is a quick fly through um, of the tool, but it kind of puts it into perspective now um, a little bit more about what we're talking about. Um, you know, because it was when we were out searching and when we were historically when we were we were looking at this tool, it wasn't one that we were actually intended to um, develop whatsoever. Um, but it was through our research. Um, that we were hearing more and more, as I was mentioning earlier, um, from communities that were saying, wouldn't it be great if there was, you know, this, this, and this, and these kind of attributes. And have you looked at the Invest Ontario um, website that actually, you know, has these site ready or, or and, and information that's populated about the province um, that makes it easy for investors. And so we took a bit of a hybrid approach. And as I was mentioning, if you saw the community information tool, we really built on the 40 plus data sets that are in there that do provide that socioeconomic and that infrastructure um, information that's more readily available. And so this tool is not intended to, to really um, 
take the place of some of that hard work that's going on. But it really does aggregate um, opportunities and, and, like I said, level the playing field so that um, properties are able to be searched uh, based on criteria um, and not based on um, sort of the capacity of the community. So can you just um, fast forward to eight? Um, slide eight. And I saw Terry, I saw your question um, in, in the chat. You were asking about, you know, can realtors, like communities that don't have the capacity to do this, can do they have the time to upload it? And there's a couple of, of, of cool features about the information opportunities tool, and that is, um, as Robert was saying, is when you type in that civic address or that address that's attached to parcel map BC, all of that information is automatically populated. And so it really does take away some of that work, some of that hard work to understand what your property is, especially from a video perspective and the time or what those communities what communities are looking for. So if you and your community know of a wonderful opportunity that, that needs to be showcased and yes, you could be working with a real estate agent. Um, and absolutely real estate agents are able to upload properties. Um, we did see that question coming through in the chat. Um, it was built for more of a, a community kind of um, representative to upload the opportunity, but we understand that in some of these small areas, um, you don't have always the luxury of, uh, of, of somebody to be able to do that on staff. And there would be maybe one or two properties that are listed with a real estate agent. We're not competing with that in whatever, whatsoever. We're actually just trying to expose it and bring it broader broader exposure um, through the, 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 the plans and the marketing plans that we have with this tool. So just to answer, uh, just to, to go a little bit on that one. So um, we're now, um, you saw only 12 opportunities that are, uh, that are just uploaded into the tool. And, and we kind of live in this chicken and egg scenario. Um, we've been doing development and work on this tool for a couple of years and have it at a point where we feel really, really comfortable with a, a, a broader marketing um, outreach uh, to go along with it. And and that is, you know, shoring up sort of where can we as the province, where can we actually work with our colleagues over at Jedi and in the trade and invest division in, in sort of looking at investor services um, where can we promote some of these opportunities? And, and that is where we're looking at, is looking at taking um, the tool and, and sharing it across government and, and along different platforms where when these opportunities are listed, they can point in this direction. So investors can use this as a, the first stop. This isn't intended to be the be all and end all and take uh, advantage of or take away from any of that. You can see very clearly that we put a business contact in the tool so that this is just a first pass, and then they can contact the community and or that business contact um, to get more information. And we do step up. We are very clear about just being uh, a platform um, that, that communities can use to actually showcase their properties. And we've been very intentional about the fact that we can um, link the opportunity to um, with the URL back to actually website and or if there's another listing or where it is listed somewhere else but maybe with a bit more information or other specifics um, that that URL is being able to be used and so we do have a few safeguards though um, we do have a couple of safeguards in terms of um, do we want every opportunity that's going to be listed in the province are we looking for you know a subway in a community no this is really looking at those commercial and industrial and agricultural properties um, there's enough um, people playing in Space like space list and others that do those kind of um, small commercial properties or, or those um, food chains or something like that. This is really just exposed, you know, trying to to identify those investment opportunity 
new properties to ensure that there's reputable. You know, we don't want to, like we said, we want to ensure that the tool is um, um, has legit listings and um, and ones that have, have been through a bit of due diligence. Um, and that's why we sort of work and look at sort of getting a voice on the ground to, to help us sort of understand that. But if there's a private, um, if there's nothing stopping a private landowner to do this as long as they go through the BCPID uh, uh, process to get that that information um, and, and come up with that BCPID. And I see Cheryl just put it in the chat. She's happy to answer any questions too. Work with you. Great. And uh, Cheryl, thanks for Thanks for answering that. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think I have any more questions. Um, the uh, again, I thank you for for taking the time to share this. This is a fantastic tool. I know it is available on our uh, Economic Development Toolbox website. I believe as well a link to it. So um, I again hope that uh, that everybody will will have a look at the toolbox website and see all the different resources. But um, I know that uh, the Ministry of Citizen Services has done an awful lot of work to get this going and a few other programs. So, uh, and it is nice to see the collaboration between the Ministry and, and Jetty as well. So uh, that's, uh, that's, that is nice to see. So, um, the, uh, and, and yes, sir, you know, Ashley, as Ashley points out, the regional manager can help. So depending on where you are located in the province, whether uh, you're, you know, in a region of Vancouver Island or in the north or every region has their own regional managers and if you don't know who your regional manager is, please feel free to, to reach out to us and, and we can we can uh, provide that information. We can work very closely with the fantastic folks at, uh, at Jenny that, uh, and the regional managers there. So uh, and I know a few of are on the line here today. So. Again, I will uh, I will uh, end it at that. I'm just going to, uh, to share my screen again and uh, to close things off here today. So uh, again, as part of Economic Development, we, the Invest in BC magazine uh, was launched uh, on on Monday, and uh, it's available uh, at the InvestinBC.com. We'll take you to pages uh, they'll also be sent to most economic development offices most local governments in the province uh, we'll get a copy uh, of the publication um, and then uh, also that uh, there's some new economic development and action videos added um, Ashley's uploaded these now uh, videos that communities have made as part of it and I know that uh, we will also be uploading the award winners from the last uh, Economic Development in Action, or sorry, the Economic Development Awards uh, sponsored by Fortis. Um, will be uh, uh, will be uploaded here shortly, and uh, and I think that's it for today. So again, thanks very much uh, to the ministry, to to Jenny, uh, Rebecca, Brandon, and Susan. Thank you for coming on the line today. And uh, we look forward to working with you more uh, going forward and uh, doing what we can to support communities throughout the province. And uh, I hope everybody has a great day today. And we'll see you tomorrow for the webinar uh, with WBC. Thank you. Thanks again. All right. So that was Dale Weldon of BCEDA, the BC Economic Development Association. And they were featuring the 
uh, C-I-O-T. It stands for Community Investment Opportunity Tool at gov.bc.ca. And I really have um, a lot of interest in how we promote our opportunities, whether they're, uh, you know, in Nanaimo or Tassis or wherever they may be, uh, say word. I see how there's a lot of, you know, one of the things that I have sort of been grappling with since I've moved to British Columbia is the um, missed opportunities in a lot of ways. You know, there's a lot of economic development um plans and studies and I really like how this uh, awards that the BCEDA is giving out for ECDEV in action and the videos and this promotion because it is May and it is Economic Development Week and we need to really like tomorrow I have many um, different things booked so I'm not going to be able to go to tomorrow's event which was is about ambassadors and um so i'm going to be missing out that it's not going to be included in this podcast recording for the green antler waterfowl podcast but i um so my time is sort of conflicted but one of the things that i see in my calendar is that between the avicc which is a meeting that i am need to go to um for Association of Vancouver Island Coastal Communities because I am on the executive board there. There is also uh, things that I have, the UBC Dibs, the Behavioral Insights um, course, uh, seminar actually, Uh, and I always find those really interesting. I've featured them on this podcast before because it sort of comes down to the why people do things, and I know that uh, from my understanding the why we do economic development is so that we have choices uh one of the things i did yesterday was we were distributing our local uh, good food boxes Uh, we had a volunteer go to gold river to pick them up there were 13 of them three of them were sponsored uh that means someone paid for someone else's food paying it forward and there is a lot of people in my community who uh, require food support and so that's why we've um, had the municipal government and myself as the green antler um, sort of counselor fowler led project where we have been able to restart this good food box program because the need is so high and I see how uh, when we as a mill town which is sort of a, a post mill town because the mill shut down 23 years ago we do have a lot of poverty in our community and we do have a lot of people who are uh, struggling financially so having things like food banks run by volunteers or you know people who sponsor vegetable boxes for others that is sort of somewhat of an economic development opportunity that is a a job that needs doing and uh, so charity is one of those things that I've really focused on in my career Uh, I've been involved in fundraising for many different charities and uh, that was prior to being an elected um, representative but I do see how the social needs of the community and the 
sort of working with what you have is really important and the why of everything. So that's why I'm really interested in always these, um, behavioral insight seminars. Um, and the next one that I have in my calendar for tomorrow is the ambassadors. So that is about, this is the organization, the British Columbia Economic Development Association. The event name is the WeBC webinar from champions to ambassadors. Uh, WeBC is a nonprofit organization supporting women business owners across the province for over 25 years. Working with regional partners, they have provided thousands of entrepreneurs with business loans and expertise, training, mentoring, and resources to help businesses grow and thrive. Using a network of local rural ambassadors, WeBC reaches across the province to support women entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. Learn more about their ambassador program and their vision to help build more capacity in communities across BC from presenter Shauna Harper, CEO of WeBC. So I would love to attend that tomorrow. Unfortunately, I'm unable. I would love to attend the BC UBC Dibs um, Behavioral Insights Seminar. I'm unable to make that also. Um, and then the other thing that I have on my calendar, which is actually must be on my phone, not my computer, um, is the... Disability Without Poverty um, workshop, which is going on. So I signed up to that too. I have three different things in my calendar that I'm unable to attend tomorrow. But I think that it all really does come down to what I'm focused on now these days, which is economic development and uh, sort of the, the bridging between uh, the different intersections. So whether it's women, whether it's charitable, whether it's municipal, uh, I see all of those hats and I see how my, um, desire to support people in my community with good food boxes is, uh, only, um, I'm only able to give what I have. And so the, work that we uh, are in, doing for this weekend, which is the the Parents Association is supporting the, um, the community by hosting the PAC uh, Spring Bazaar. So that's at Captain Mears Elementary Secondary School. And tomorrow afternoon, after I do my AVIC uh, executive meeting, we'll be moving tables over from the rec center. Uh, graciously donated by the village of Tassis to the school, which is a provincial property. And we will be hosting a community uh, fair. And that has been a tradition that we've been doing for many years, long before I got here. And it features a lot of makers and uh, sort of cottage industry, um, economic development uh, entrepreneurs who are just whether they're making puzzles or they're making cookies or they're organizing uh, hospital auxiliaries or fire departments or so many different things. Um, we're all recruiting from the same pool of volunteers and the pay isn't great. Uh, I can say that as a municipal uh, elected politician for a small town, I give a lot more than I get. And uh, it really does sort of chat me when people uh, think that I'm somehow this self-interested person who's trying to um, use all these opportunities like charitable giving to help myself because I have been accused of people 
uh, by people in my community of, you know, using the Good Food Box program to somehow benefit personally. I do see how I am a recipient of that program. I gave my Good Food Box to someone else yesterday because I was just out at the grocery store and my fridge was full and I didn't need it. And so I passed it on to someone else who really did need it, who was talking to me about how much they were struggling uh, at the end of their their month or at the beginning of their month when they get their disability check or whatever it is, whatever sort of income that they receive. I know that my child benefit is the highest um, income into my account on a monthly basis, even though I work full-time as a village counselor. Uh, I'm doing that right now, somewhat indirectly. You know, the um, the podcast that I started uh, in 2020 as a, a pandemic project is because of my uh, success in being a municipally elected person and a woman in leadership and uh, my involvement on the UBCM executive board and my previous experience with multimedia and filmmaking has really culminated from moving away from the printed book, which I was publishing when I first got elected in 2018, to celebrate some of the TASIS talent that we have here and to do some economic development, um, has shifted into this thing where I just am at my house talking to myself and going to webinars and you know, celebrating Economic Development Week and talking about my, you know, community's food security issues and, you know, and also how difficult it is to age in place or how difficult it is to have disability without poverty because there is definitely a lot of poverty in British Columbia and there is also a lot of wealth. And I am not from British Columbia originally. My home where I was born is in the Great Lakes region. And so I guess I come at this with an outsider's perspective because I um, I grew up in a place where there's lots of people and so there's lots of resources. There's missed opportunities there too, but there's buses that run and in my community, there is not that, you know, we do not have, um, public transport in the village of Tassis. So either you have a working vehicle and you can get to the grocery store in Campbell river on your own, or you don't, and you go without. So, uh, highlighting all of these sort of yeah, missed opportunities, but also, um, potentials for investment. There's so much investment uh, that could be done in social capital and, um, you know, celebrating how much we give as human resources. Like there's so many givers in this community that I have really learned, um, how to kind of make a career of giving my time and, um, talent, you know, this, this is, there's so many talented people in the village of Tassis and I know that this isn't going to come out until after the bazaar. It's likely to, um, sit in my drafts until the new year in January, because there's so many other episodes in the hopper of the Green Antlers Waterfell podcast. Um, but 
I always wonder who the listeners are, and I always wonder uh, why I do this and who is benefiting from me uh, sort of showing my process, because I want to recruit people into local government, uh, especially underrepresented people, um, people who are, you know, people of color, people who are disabled or impoverished. I know that I fit into more than one of those groups, Uh, but I also have been given a lot of privileges and I had the um, benefit of going to, you know, good school in a good town with parents who had union jobs and that's not the reality for so many people nowadays there's definitely a divide or a disconnect between what I the childhood that I grew up with and the childhood that I'm able to offer my children here in British Columbia but I do always say that the east has culture and the west has nature and it is not exclusive they both have both But there's definitely a sense of I am glad to be able to have this homestead here on Discovery Crescent where we grow things and we make things and we try to be as food secure as we possibly can and we have this amazing epic wilderness around us to celebrate. And with that, I think that this is the end of this episode of the Waterfowl Podcast. I'm going to thank the listeners out there. I don't know who you are. Uh, according to the analytics, it's mostly U.S. citizens, uh, which is really interesting. But at the same time, you know, the person who I was visiting yesterday, who is making a plan to move away from our community uh, because it's just not age friendly enough here. There's not enough resources or supports. And, uh, you know, people who people need people who care. People need uh, caregivers. This person uh, specifically was a uh, is a retired nurse. She moved here from California or Florida. She went to school at Simon Fraser. She's like uh, really given so much of her life to caregiving. And now when she just turned 75, she's making a plan to move back to the U.S. because she's unable to get the supports that she needs here in our remote and rural life. And that is a huge sadness for me as the chair of the Age-Friendly Action Committee because it's all very personal. You know, this is my friend and someone who I featured in my poetry book. Um, I'll leave this episode with her words. Patricia Rice, we are the weavers, we are the web. So thanks to the Waterfowl listeners, whether they're on one side of the border or the other. Uh, I know that these are just arbitrary lines that we draw, these intersections, and I know that we connect them with our humanity. So, appreciate your listening to Economic Development Week uh, with Sarah Fowler from the Green Antlers Waterfowl Podcast. Take it easy. Bye-bye.